Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Dear Lord, just thank you for this time that we can share about what you're doing in Cameroon, and thank you for what you're doing across the world and you're not a Lord or a God that stands on the sideline, but you're interactive and you're working in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for raising people up uh, to do your calling, Lord. And thank you for calling us to Cameroon. Just bless this time now that we'll speak in such a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us. Before I get started, I want to... Uh, show you our prayer card. It's out there on the table. If they, if they run out, we have extras. But on this prayer card is um, our picture, of course, and the Whitcliffe logo, JARS logo, so you remember who we work for. Um, our website is on there. You can go to that. A picture of where we serve is Cameroon, the helicopter, which is what, how we serve in Cameroon. And then our address here uh, in the organization our email address, and then the address over in Cameroon. So it's full of a lot of information on this little card. Feel free to take one as, uh, as you'd like. So as the pastor said, we are Eric and Susan Wolf. We serve with Whitcliffe in Cameroon, Africa. Um, Whitcliffe is the people that do Bible translation, if you don't know. And I know that you have a couple missionaries that are retired sitting in this church, and one has served with Wycliffe also. So um, you probably already know all about what Wycliffe does. JARS, on the other hand, a lot of people don't know about JARS. JARS is the uh, support arm for Wycliffe. The reason JARS exists is so the, the translators, when they go to do their work, they can concentrate on translation. And then we handle all the logistics, the computer um, support, um, uh, vernacular media, which is a recording of uh, languages, uh, the gospel in other languages, um, transportation, whether it's aviation, um, by land or by sea. JARS is involved in all that. Our portion of that is aviation that we're, we serve in. Um, <clears throat> before we get into the details of all that, uh, Susan and I are just going to share a brief testimony of how God brought us uh, to serve him. Susan, I'll let you go ahead first. I think you got a mic right there. Can you hear me? Okay, um, I'd like to start um, with a Bible verse that has been somewhat my my life verse. It's Romans eight twenty eight and it says, and we know that all things work together good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And I've seen God work things together in my life for good all through my life. Um, I was raised, I was raised in a church and um, at the age of eight I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, understanding that I was separated from God and I needed, I needed a Savior, I needed forgiveness, and that the blood of Christ was um, God's provision for me to come back to him. And so I understood that at a young age, um, having been raised in the church. And I made that um, decision. I walked forward at First Baptist Church, New Orleans, Louisiana, and, um, and was shortly thereafter baptized. And about a year later, my family moved to uh, Europe. And during the four years that we were there, one of the places we lived was 
uh, the Nether- Netherlands, and I was able to visit Corey Timboom, the Timboom home where Corey Timboom grew up, and see the hiding place and learn about her story. And um, that really affected me as a young child, and um, and stayed with me when when we moved back to the United States. I was 13, and as part of uh, the youth group, they had shown the the film The Hiding Place. So shortly after I returned, that um, watching that film just really stirred something in me, and um, the desire for missions began to grow in me, and just wanting to learn more about her life and the life of someone who would who would just risk everything for the gospel. So I started reading all of her books, and um, God was working um, in me through her life, just uh, teaching me uh, teaching me about serving and commitment. And um, and when I was in um, college, I I felt God calling me into missions, but wasn't really sure what to do with that call. wasn't wasn't getting a lot of encouragement, and just there were so many different opportunities available, and I just didn't know which one to pursue or which direction to go. So I just prayed that God would make it more clear. Um, I graduated from college and started working in the field of occupational health, industrial hygiene. And in the beginning, it was great, and I loved it, but then the last few years, I started feeling a void and feeling as though God had something else for my life. And, and I started praying through that, and God reminded me um, of his call back in college, and, and, I, and I just kept praying through that and asked him if he would show me and be, you know, bring me someone in my life to encourage me or guide me or direct me, I would, I would go if I was clear on where to go. And it wasn't long after that that um, I met Eric and we began dating. Uh, I was living in Pensacola, Florida at the time, and um, on one of our first dates he asked me, if, um, if you got married and your husband was called into the full-time missions and to go somewhere foreign would you would you go and so it was really exciting because I had never really had anybody to talk to about it that understood that um what I was feeling inside and so we were able to talk about it and I was able to share that yes I had felt that call but you know I just wasn't sure which direction to go with it and um so it would have been, it was a few years yet before God worked that out in our lives but we did get married and he did eventually call us into missions when we're serving now in Cameroon so Eric will fill in some of those holes for you. So my story is similar to Susan's. I grew up in um, a uh, Christian church, Baptist church. And uh, during my high school years, my parents decided to send me to a Christian school. They were concerned about my character, and uh, so they enrolled me in a Christian school, and it was probably the best thing they have done for me. During the chapel service in this Christian school, I was convicted of my sins and, uh, and accepted Christ as my Savior. Um, during that time, that same uh, school, they would have you do a lot of required reading, and one of the books that they had me read was a story of Jim Elliott and Nate Saint. Um, and there was actually more men involved in that. There's five of them down there in Ecuador. I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but they were out there trying to reach the least, the last, and the lost. And during the process, they were killed by the Indians down there in Ecuador. And it really struck me that these guys were willing to do this. So, graduated from high school and didn't feel called at the time to Bible school or to missions, and so I went to school to become a mechanic, an airplane mechanic, and that's where I served uh, um, for five years. I worked as an airplane mechanic, and then from there, I joined the United States Navy, learned to fly helicopters, 
um, served nine years in the Navy, and right during my last year in the Navy, I met Susan, and uh, God orchestrated that to work out to where she became my wife, and, um, and from there, uh, in Pensacola, we were married and moved here to Fairburn, and I worked six years for the airlines uh, out of Hartsfield. During the time out at Hartsfield, um, it was a good job, and I liked my job, but I had a spiritual discontentment. Um, I wanted to serve more in a church, but because of my schedule, I wasn't able to. Um, wanted to have more time with my family. Wanted to, um, you know, just be able to, to, to do more with my life. And, you know, I, I was praying about this, but, you know, felt I was 40 at the time, felt too old to go into missions, and didn't feel like God was calling us at the time. And so I was meeting with our pastor and praying and and through that time period, God started to show me that he had something else for us. Um, so we started communicating with Wycliffe and JARS and ended up uh, working with JARS. At this time, I was, um, one of my uh, devotionals, I was reading Psalms 127. And unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keepeth awake in vain. And it really just struck me. A lot of my efforts and time were going to things other than the kingdom work. And so God orchestrated our lives at that time and brought us uh, into missions where we've been serving since 2005. If you can go ahead and bring up the next picture. This is our uh, son and daughter, Caleb and Kara, and they're now 10 and 12. They serve with us there in Africa. And they're homeschooled because that's the only option we have where we're serving. We're a remote region of Africa. They love Africa, and they're learning to follow Jesus uh, uh, there in Africa, and they're also being able to see their parents live out their faith day by day there as we serve. You can go ahead and bring up the next. This is uh, the circle there is where we serve, Central West Africa. Cameroon's on the coast. We are in a very mountainous region. We live at 6,000 feet, and the airstrip where we operate out of is 7,000 feet. Um, and that's why we're there with the helicopter, because the roads and uh, other things are very... Um, Difficult. The population in our little village is about 80,000. It's a, the second largest village in the northwest region there. Um, in that village, there's Susan and I and the other family that uh, also helps us with the helicopter pilot. Uh, and that's it for the uh, western missionaries in that, in that region. <clears throat> and so let's uh, talk a little bit about what Wycliffe does. If you bring up the next slide. Okay. Now there's a lot of stuff on this slide. But the big thing I want to stress here is there are, there's a lot of people in this world without a Bible in their language. You know, we've had the Bible in English since uh, uh, they, 1611, 400, 401 years now that we've had this Bible. So we've been really blessed in growing with the Bible in our language. There's people still today that don't have a Bible in their language. Um, roughly that number is about 1,967. In the northwest, well, all of Cameroon, there's 270 languages, okay? In the northwest area where we work, there's 60 different languages there. And so that's what Wycliffe does, is they go, they send a translator, they go into a village, they learn the language, create an alphabet, and then translate the Bible into their language. So they'll have a Bible, Word of God, uh, in their heart language, their native tongue. Um, currently, we have about 518 in the world that have a complete Bible, um, and that 1,275 that have a New Testament. One thing that JARS also does is what they call faith by hearing. 
There's a lot of uh, societies that are not literate. They, they're used to oral tradition where they pass on stories and knowledge uh, just orally. And so what they do is that once they learn the language, then they adapt the gospel to that and record it on these little devices, and they're able to give it to the people in these villages so they can hear the gospel orally over these little devices. Uh, JARS has so far uh, done 317 languages this way. They, JARS has also dubbed the Jesus film into over 170 languages. You know, Isaiah 55:11 says, so, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I have sent it. God's word does not return void. He has a purpose, and we're, we're glad to be a part of that purpose. All right, can you bring up the next slide there? So my job for Whitcliffe and for JARS is the pilot mechanic. We have a small little R-44 helicopter out there, and my primary calling and job there is to support Bible translation with this helicopter. I take the translators out to these remote villages. I do surveys with them. I uh, bring them out when they're sick. I take uh, supplies into them, um, uh, just keeping them so they can focus on their job, which is Bible translation. We help them with any... uh, uh, need that they may have, maybe a solar panel's down, I'll, I'll fly out and help them with that, uh, bring in medicine, um, whatever their need may be. Go ahead and the next slide, please. Uh, logistics is a big part of that. This is an example. I'm carrying some uh, 55-gallon drums out to a village so they can store water because during the dry season you have to carry your water from the stream. And so by having, uh, being able to store water, they're able to live more of a normal life in that area. Okay, next slide. So why do we need a helicopter in missions? Um, You know, it's a question that I take back to the Lord from time to time. Is this good use of kingdom dollars? And if you have ever spent any time in a third world country, um, it's extremely difficult to move around and to uh, get from point to point. So we, we use the helicopter to accelerate Bible translation. That's the, the term that they like to use. And the reason is because for them to get out to some of these villages, they have to, to walk sometimes because there's not even roads. They're just foot trails. Um, and if there is a road, in the rainy season, the bridges can wash out, like this one here. This is a little village where there's a translation project. This bridge was built in the 30s by the Germans, and it washed out about three years ago. And even before they put this little boardwalk across it, there was nothing. This, this village was landlocked by mountains on one side and uh, by the water on the other. So to come and go from this, they had people drowned in this river trying to cross it, uh, uh, national people. So the helicopter is able to support and keep the things moving uh, because of that. Okay, the next slide. Hospitality. I'm going to break a little bit from the, uh, the helicopter here and talk about uh, what Susan does with hospitality. She's not a pilot, so she supports me at home. She homeschools the kids, but she also has a very big role she plays in hospitality, and I'll let her share that. Um, I homeschool our children, so, um, so I'm home all day. So as missionaries are traveling through and needing to get from their home in their remote village where their translation work is going on, perhaps to our branch office in Bemenda or the capital city in Yaoundé, it's probably anywhere from 10 to 12, 13-hour drive for them on rough roads if they're not flying. And um, so our house is about three, four hours down the road for most of them, and it's a really good place for them to stop. Um, Many of them have young children, so 
keep a box of toys for them, and we have a lot of land for them to run around and play, a place to stop and use the restroom, get a meal. We always have lunch ready for them when they come. So, um, so that's just what we can do to help them. Um, we have also have a very good market in our town. Um, we actually have almost a better market than the capital city. Um, can get, we can get fresh things that, that they actually ask me to send down to the capital city sometimes. So, um, to our main center. So, um, so a lot of the missionaries will call in a, a food order, and we'll have it ready to go so they don't actually have to take time and go to the market, and they can just pick up their bag and go on and, and have food for the road or food for wherever they're, they're traveling to next. And especially if they're traveling back from the capital out to their village, um, it's really good for them to have a sack full of groceries because many of the villages, there aren't very many things that grow well in many of these villages. So we do, um, we do offer hospitality to our missionaries and any other missionaries that, that would like to stop by and visit and fellowship and, um, and also have special um, fellowship times during Thanksgiving and Fourth of July and, and where we just invite them to come in and spend some time with, with us and other missionaries because it can get lonely when you're working very remotely. So it's nice to have, have people that you can share those, those special times with. And that picture right there, there is... Um a hospital worker, I think she was an instructor down there. Um, there is a veterinarian that ministers to the Muslim people through uh, the cattle. Um, so, and they're all from different organizations, and you know, we, we try to support all the mission groups that are there spreading the gospel. Um, so, go ahead and bring up the next picture. So, back to the helicopter. Um, another, when you break down the flying that we do there, it's about 30% for the translators. Another 30%, we support a local Baptist mission hospital. And then the remainder of that uh, is other, other missionary organizations there. But the hospital, one of our, my jobs is to take the doctors out to remote clinics. The, the, the roads are so difficult, the, the terrain is so difficult to travel, a lot of people don't, are not able to get into the hospital for medical care. So by taking these doctors out for a clinic once a month in their village, um, the people can come and have their medical needs met. And uh, the mission statement of this hospital is to spread the gospel through this medical work. And so, you know, they have pastors that minister to these people, too. And uh, it's a real pleasure to serve the hospital. The upper left uh, picture there is um, I'm doing a medical flight. You know, when someone gets hurt there, they cannot get quickly to the hospital. So you have a lot of life and death um, cases that time is critical. Here in the state, they call it the golden hour, that, that, that time to get the person from when they're first injured to the hospital, and you can save a life. The helicopter is all they have. They have there are motorcycles and taxis, but what I can do in 20 minutes would take them eight hours. And uh, so they'll call me, and I will, I will come and get them for that. Um, and then the bottom center picture there is where I flew a leprosy uh, survey. I flew for three weeks with these four doctors, and um, we went to a remote area um, of all these villages that where leprosy still existed. And they did their survey, and they treated and gave medicine. In a couple cases, I actually flew some more critical cases back to the hospital for treatment. You know, it's, we are so blessed in this country, and it's amazing that leprosy still exists in this world. And uh, the doctors told me, if we did not have this helicopter, we would not be able to do this survey because the terrain is too rugged. They, had, they couldn't carry their gear and cover all the different villages we covered in three weeks. We basically did a village a day. Um, it would take them a week, in some cases, to get to some of these villages if they're just walking. So um, the helicopter ministers uh, in a tremendous way medically there in Cameroon. 
All right, you can bring up the next. And other, other missions. The remainder of that time, our flight time, is uh, to other mission organizations. This is Dr. James and his wife. Um, I think he's about 70, isn't he? Some, you know, the, the joke there for the, the, the Cameroonians is that, um, you know, when people retire here, they're just kind of set, set at the curve. And uh, there they say, you know, we still have good use for retired people in Cameroon. And this, he's a surgeon, and he does like four or five surgeries a day, which is pretty amazing. Um, and we have another doctor that uh, lives and runs a remote clinic, and they've told us time and time again that if it wasn't for aviation in that country, they could not be there and serve. But they serve tremendously and uh, meet the needs of a lot of people. And the, the stories are just on and on and on about other organizations that depend on us because we are the only aviation asset there in Cameroon. Okay, we can bring up the next picture. And we also serve the local church. Um, Susan and I uh, have joined this church there in the local community. It just started. This pastor started with a Bible study. Um, it grew into a church. We were meeting outside for a long time. And then finally we got this watershed built. Just, uh, I think it was just dedicated last month um, so that uh, people would meet in and out of the rain during rainy season. And this pastor, I really love him a lot. He's, he's passionate about pe- preaching the word of God. Um, without watering it down. And uh, I meet and pray with him and encourage him um, uh, weekly. And so we really love uh, serving the church in that way. Susan, why don't you talk a little bit about what you do there? When we first uh, he started going, he came to the house and asked for help because his um, church was growing, but he, he didn't have anyone as it grew to teach and help. They just weren't very deep. So he asked us if we would come and help and um, not long after we started going there, I noticed there, w- there was nothing for the children. There was no ministry at all for the children. And um, so I started praying about that. Um, like Eric said, we met outside the house, and there really wasn't a room for it or a place for it. So I wasn't really sure how this would all come together. But I thought, well, I'll just talk to him about it and see what he thinks. And um, so together, um, we... Um, he, he was real excited about the idea, and he found a place around the other side of his house that we could start having the class. So we started with about 35 to 50 children, and not long after we started, um, and the children ranged from preschool to high school. They're a really, they were all in the same class, really wide range. Um, we've grown since that time, um, and we're, we, we're more separated now with eight by age group. But, um, but initially, um, before we started growing, we, uh, we decided to do an outreach in the community through local soccer. Soccer's really, they call it football there, but it's really big, and every village has a, has a soccer field. So um, the pastor went down and started playing loud music on the field, and about 230 kids come down. Um, God really, I don't have time to share all of the details, but he worked out for someone to come and teach us how to run one of these camps and get us going. So we, we ran it for about 10 weeks, um, and at the end of the 10 weeks, he extended the invitation for children to stand up who wanted to receive Christ. And... Um, um, 67 children stood to receive Christ and um, our Sunday school as a result of that has started growing and now we're up to about 80 um, many Sundays, 80 children we started a separate preschool and we've started some training for, for more teachers, I really like to get Cameroonians involved in, in doing the teaching and train them, so we're meeting at our house um, at least once a month we meet and train um, those who seem to be growing in their faith to um, start leading more of these classes so it's real exciting what God's doing right now. All right, bring up the next one there. 
Okay, so as we talk to different churches and tell people about what they're doing, what we're doing, and even some of our friends uh, ask us the question, why do you do this? Why do you go all the way to Africa? Why did you quit your job? Why do you take your children into a dangerous area? We don't think it's dangerous. Um, actually, actually feels relatively safe where we are. Um, but people ask us, you know, what, why? Why do you do this? And it gives us an opportunity, of course, to share the gospel with them. But the um, first reason is we do this is because out of obedience to Christ. When he called us to do this, we said yes. And I'll read you Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so out of obedience, we go and do just that. And you don't have to go to Africa to do this. You can do it right here in Palmetto. Um, the other part of this we're passionate about is reaching at least the last and the lost. You know, this is a very remote part of the world, just like with that leprosy survey. They're the least. Nobody's really thinking about them. They're out there on their own. Um, they're last because they're so hard to get to. And they're definitely lost. They need the gospel. And that's what Wycliffe is doing by giving them the translation in their language, is bringing them the gospel. And so to be a part of that is uh, just really tremendous. You know, Isaiah 117, God is talking to Israel, and he's not very happy with the children of Israel at this time. And, you know, they're, they're not taking care of people. And he says, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, orphan and plead for the widow. And we find we're doing this just about every day that there we're there in Cameroon. And then finally, it's uh, only what is done for Christ will last, as C.T. Stubbs wrote in his song. And, you know, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 12 and 13, let me read that. Um, now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. You know, when I was working here in the States, you know, we were serving the best we could in the local church and doing what we could, but I realized a lot of what I had in my life was just hay and stubble. When this fire is going to try my works, there's not going to be a lot to show for. And so another reason we do what we do is because we want to build something for eternity, and uh, God is allowing us to do that there. So let's go ahead and bring up the next slide. Global Hallelujah. And this is one of the slogan verses that Wycliffe likes to use, and I really enjoy it too. Uh, Revelation 7, 9, and I'll read that. And all, after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You know, these people that are getting Bibles and the gospel and they're accepting Christ, we're all going to stand together in one group to, together before the throne. People from all over the world, different cultures, praising God. John Piper said, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship does not. And as these people are getting the gospel and accepting Christ, they begin to worship God. And, of course, once we're in heaven, we'll worship God for eternity. And that is the role that Wicca plays in this uh, 
reaching the least and the last and the lost. So thank you for having us here today. We'll, uh, we'll be here afterwards to answer any questions. And um, thank you for having us.